yeah, the operator investor hat is like, I think increasingly one that people are wearing and, and people like having this like blend be, of being able to like do their jobs, but then also have this like other skill set that they're building on the side. Hey friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn, here at the Portfolio Career Podcast. We help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Lisa Cuesta. Um, in this episode, you'll learn about how a blog post that Lisa wrote is still being referenced six months later. Um, we talk about the blog post. Um, how Lisa transitioned from being an investor full-time to an operator and working in business development in the cryptocurrency space. Um, she works at Aztec, a company that provides a security shield for the internet of money. Specifically, they work on uh, layer two technologies, which refers to a network technology that operates on top of an underlying blockchain protocol to improve its scalability and efficiency. You also learn about how Lisa is an angel investor, on the side and how more and more operators are also investing and kind of building out their portfolio that way and the synergies that they're able to and benefits from that. So if you're interested in cryptocurrency and Web3 and kind of transitions into that space, this episode is for you. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away which has the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced job opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow, grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Lisa. Uh, Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So lots to catch up on and lots to talk about. Uh, we're, we're definitely going to link a blog post uh, that you wrote, uh, but I think the headline is hilarious, but obviously it's very uh, interesting too, which is crypto memes and dreams. W what does that just like that headline mean? And yeah, what, what are kind of memes and why are they kind of applicable to uh, kind of the crypto space? Sure. So the crypto space has been going through an evolution basically since its inception where uh, people come up with these, these ways of getting people excited and inspiring other folks. And a lot of it is through memes. And that could be like a meme as in kind of graphics from a movie or from a show that like resonate with people, or it could be something that's like really specific and kind of an inside joke to the crypto space. And so memes are driving basically all of the conversations, the innovation, it's like what gets people excited. It, what's, it's what drives the narrative around what people are building in crypto. And when I first got into crypto back in 2017, I was at an early stage venture firm. And at the time, everything was in very much like being built or just getting, it was like basically white papers and ideas. And so all these things were just like dreams that people ultimately had to build. And the way that they got other people excited about it was through these kinds of like inside jokes, creating these communities, uh, creating these ways that people could like relate to the thing that actually needed to be built. And it's funny that you mentioned the blog post because I think it ends up being, uh, ended up being something that like a lot of folks were interested in reading in during my transition and it came up like multiple times, even after like long months after I wrote it. Um, and I think the crypto community in particular is like really, really rewards and encourages people to like write their ideas and put them out there. Like the whole space is kind of focused on building in public. And I think that putting your thoughts out there and writing a blog post is very much part of the ethos. And you'll see that not in, not just in people's kind of job searches and transitions, but also in like the way that they build their companies and the way that uh, these projects are being built in public constantly. 
Yeah. That's amazing that people are still referencing a blog post months later. I mean, obviously I'm referencing it because I was, <laughs> you know, researching for this, but it, you know, I think that that's a really empowering uh, lesson for people just like, you think it's just one blog post and especially in kind of the kind of a short attention span, uh, kind of bite-sized kind of world that we live in, but like good pieces of content can last, you know, long time. Yeah. It was one of those things too, that was kind of generic or general enough. It wasn't this thing that was like very specific to a, a time, a moment in time. Um, Cause there's, are, there are blog posts that are like very much related to something that everyone is talking about in that moment. And like, it has that kind of window, maybe 24 to 48 hour window that like every it's driving the conversation. Um, mine was more reflective of like years, like looking back from when I first learned about crypto in 2017 to like how the space has evolved, what's different now, why is this an exciting time to join? And like, especially now as people are thinking through the transition and like learning more about Web3 and seeing what the opportunities are, a lot of folks like have their own version of like the story that they're telling themselves about what's driving their decision and why this is the right time. So I think it was a combination of like it being kind of not time specific. It wasn't related to this particular news story or news cycle. Uh, but then also it's this like post that a lot of people, I think resonate with a lot of people because they're thinking through it themselves. Yeah. And so then the post is related to your transition. We'll get into that in a little bit more too, but you talked about memes as a way to like communicate ideas. I don't know. I've seen some actual like titles of like chief meme officer. Um, ha- have you seen things like that too, or uh, kind of these like non-traditional roles that are kind of growing in the Web3 space that might be, you know, appealing to people or, yeah. Have, have you seen things like that, Lisa? Yeah. So we don't have a chief meme officer yet. Uh, our head of growth, I would argue, plays that role to some extent and is like a fabulous kind of Twitter personality, just really knows how to drive interesting content that people want to engage with. Um, so we do have that to some extent, or we have that skill set represented on the team. But I think the reason why people want those types of roles in-house is because all of Twitter uh, and and kind of Discord and these kind of channels where people are coming together are, are the ways that these projects are attracting users. It's the way that they're attracting partners. It's the way that they're attracting builders that are going to ultimately use kind of the building blocks that each of our projects are building to integrate them into other experiences. And that's how what's going to drive even more adoption and kind of compound the the growth of these projects. And so I think the reason why folks want to have that skill set on their team is because without it, like it's hard to drive that kind of excitement about what you're building. It could kind of just get lost in the noise. Um, So if you can, if you can build a brand an ethos, a community that resonates with people, then you can have that extend the, the ability for your team to ship really quickly because you're relying on, you know, resources that go beyond just the small teams that exist in crypto. Yeah. And uh, as another example of that, like your company has Aztec has a discord that's what publicly available for, for anybody to join. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most crypto projects do, but yes, we've been growing our discord community, um, especially over the past few months as we've been trying to uh, lean away from, you know, our, our team is very kind of research and development oriented over the past couple of years, we've built uh, cryptography innovation that now is being used by other protocols as well. And that's great, but now we're shifting to this new phase of like actually commercializing that technology, which is why I joined. And so that that transition has been happening over the past few months. And as part of that, we're extending the product. And what's really cool about how we're extending it is anyone 
it's it's very permissionless and that's like a lot of like crypto's ethos in general but anyone in our community can write these kind of bridge contracts that extend the capabilities of our network and so we actually just launched our grant program this week uh, which is going to be providing formal support resources incentives for folks to build the bridge contracts that we think are most important to uh, grow the use of our network. And so the Discord is very much a part of that. And what's amazing is starting to see the organic growth, both in terms of global presence. So we now have moderators that are driving conversations in 12 different languages. Um, and that's incredible because it's all organic. Like we didn't come up with the idea. It's just based on demand and like who's willing to raise their hand and say like, I want to run this channel. Um, but then the other thing is it really scales the support that we could offer. So everyone who uses our product, like sometimes they come across the same issues that other people have had in the past. And once those people know how to resolve that issue, they jump into the discord and like help other users that might be bumping into those issues. So it scales the support that we can offer to our users as well. And that goes in addition to, in addition to like support for the product, also support for building things on Aztec. And so that's like, I think when we start to see that the discord is really working, when it starts to work for, for us, rather than uh, us kind of needing to put in all the effort to drive uh, the conversation. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and we were kind of talking a little bit before about how it kind of seems like some of the things that people could do to like advance their career, you know, you know, and kind of like before web three uh, was like volunteer it was like, um, you know, organize, it was, you know, share your ideas. Like some of those things had been either less accessible or not really as like talked about as much, but then it seems like in the kind of like the web three space, like it's just a lot more encouraged and it's a lot more accessible and it's a lot more kind of like encouraged. Uh, how do you think about that, Lisa? Yeah. So there's, yeah, very much a building in public ethos in crypto. So uh, it's funny because I think, you know, most private tech companies, they, you know, build in a ton of processes and they have to mature to a certain point to become more kind of external facing as a public company. And like, that's a journey, right? Like you go from being a very small company that's super scrappy and kind of like very inward facing to eventually like having, you know, many outside stakeholders and going public. And like, that's when you start to have the quarterly earnings calls with your investors but if you think about like that journey, it's not often that you see like these private companies holding those kinds of quarterly reviews, et cetera, with all their different stakeholders. Now, when you look at crypto, like we have monthly community calls um, and we do that between Discord and Twitter spaces and anyone can join that. Like you don't have to be an investor. You could just be someone that's interested in the project and you can join and like interact directly with our founders. We share all the updates in terms of like, how the network's performing, what updates we've made, uh, what different ways people can get involved are. And it's like pretty awesome that we're getting into that habit now as like now a 19 person company, but when I joined, we were nine people uh, and, and starting that from the very beginning, because then by the time we like, you know, got to scale, it's something that's second nature to us. So I think, yeah, that building in public ethos drives kind of like how we engage with folks on Discord, on Twitter, our team is like super accessible. And if you wanted to ask the founders a question directly, like there's channels to do that. And I think that's not specific to Aztec. That's true about a lot of Web3 companies. And then I alluded to our grants program before, which is like how we're starting to support developers that are building on top of Aztec. But there's grant pro pro programs of all like shapes and sizes. Um, there's some very large ones um, as well that have like massive budgets and can like fund really, really interesting 
things that, you know, folks are building to support that project. But those grant programs are another way for folks to get involved without having to be a full-time member of the team. And that could be like, you know, building a dashboard. If you're like an analytical person, it could be building uh, a DAP that like integrates with the protocol. That's like another version. It could be marketing and community and like starting a channel in another language. And you can get a grant for that for some, with some programs or from some projects. And so there's a lot of different ways for people to get involved, depending on like what their skill set is. And I think that will only increase over time as these projects um, extend the purpose and like the goals of their grant programs and the kinds of things that they're willing to reward. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, you've also, uh, you've been investing a little bit as well, uh, in addition to your main role. I think that's really interesting of like, uh, you know, like ethos of the show is like, you know, kind of building a portfolio. Uh, and so in this case, it's investing and it's also kind of operating. Maybe talk to us a little bit about like um, kind of the benefits of like kind of investing and operating in the same space and um, yeah, kind of how you're thinking about that. Yeah, this is true about operators kind of across the board. I don't think it's specific to crypto, but it's even more common in crypto, I think, than other other industries, just because that's like very much part of the ethos of crypto, like build out your bench earlier, have like a bunch of different stakeholders that were that are rewarded and benefit if you do well. And so, yeah, the operator investor hat is like, I think, increasingly one that people are wearing and, and people like having this like blend of being able to like do their jobs, but then also have this like other skill set that they're building on the side. And some folks do it with a group of friends. Some people do it individually. Some people do it as part of a venture fund. And there's all kinds of like venture fund programs to get operators involved as scouts or venture partners or uh, sole LPs, like those kinds of models. Um, But for me, it's, a pretty natural progression because I came from venture. And so this is my way of just kind of like keeping that um, skill set going and also like keeping my foot in the door to some extent, like with that world. Um, and I feel like, you know, because I was in venture for five years, I have a you know great network of friends that are still in venture that are looking to get into crypto. And like, we share ideas on deal flow and like, you know, I give my perspective on the companies that they're looking at. And that's actually how I sourced like one of the early angel investments that I did this year. Um, a friend was asking me about a company that they were looking at. And then I met with the team and then we ended up investing and it, it ended up being great. But I think from a, how it helps me as an operator perspective, well, one, it like a lot of these projects can potentially be partners. And so from my perspective, like as a head of BD and the person who's thinking about our partnerships, it just like keeps me informed on what's coming down the pipeline and like what things should be on our radar and who we should be partnering with um, that happens all the time, like, you know, a lot of projects are starting to think about how they can go cross chain beyond the original ecosystem that they're built in. And like one of the projects that we invested in is helping to make that easier. And uh, Aztec definitely is going to be working with them at some point. So I think, you know, it's, it's a good way to continue building out my network to like make me aware of like things that should be on our radar. And like, once we get to the point where we want to prioritize that conversation, it'll be easier because we're already connected there. And, and just to, to be cross chain, that's, yeah. Can you, can you describe it? And, and in your words, I would probably get it wrong. So, yeah. So a lot of folks have their original products on like either Ethereum or Polygon or Solana, and they want to be able to tap into all the other ecosystems, like, you know, those plus many more that have their own set of users and applications and benefits. Um, and there's trade-offs across the board about like why you would want to use one over the other. Uh, and so there's now this like 
interoperability trend of like, how do you get, you know, a, a DAP that's being built in Polygon to interact with or know what's going on with a DAP on Ethereum and like have more of that transferability, both of information and of the funds themselves. And so there's all these like bridges and kind of relayer networks that are being built, to like have those communication uh, channels between all those different ecosystems. Got it. Okay. And then were you like active in the Aztec discord before kind of, <laughs> you're laughing? I was just going to stop. <laughs> I was not. Um, and the Aztec team like mostly attracted cryptographers because of how, how talented the cryptography team is. And so it was like an extremely like technical community initially. And that's evolved because I think as we've kind of hardened the network and gotten it to a point where like, you know, only cryptographers could really be involved. And now we're starting to move to, okay, now we can think about all of the applications that can be built on top of it. Now it's becoming more accessible to folks that don't have that like deep cryptography math background. Um, when I joined, like, yeah, the vast majority of our team was cryptographers <laughs> and that balance is still kind of there, but yeah, we're starting to get to the point where it's not just about like, Kind of how the network works, but like actually what's being built on top of it, which is, you know, where I would come into play because I'm more familiar with the different dApps that are built in the ecosystem and the ones that we could support and which ones could be a good user experience. Yeah, got it. So it's a lot more technical. And then you joined, as you mentioned, kind of commercialization. How did, um, how, how were you, I guess you've been involved in this space for a little while. So kind of getting up to speed and stuff wasn't, it seems like, uh, I mean, for me, uh, you know, like the kind of the onboarding and there's technical kind of challenges and stuff that can be kind of daunting to some extent. What, what kind of resources have you found to be kind of useful or, you know, is there anything that like, okay, there's a lot of noise out there, but like, just read these couple things or hop into these kind of discords. And then like, you're good enough to get by. Like, how are you kind of thinking about that for people that are like, Hey, I want to move into the web three space. I've you know, I'm an investor in web two stuff, or I've been done BD in web two, Lisa, you've been able to kind of combine both of those. How could I start to make myself become more presentable or marketable to uh, web three type companies? So the way that I would think about it is like web three is pretty vast. Like there's so many different parts of it that you could potentially focus on. There's like the different ecosystems that I mentioned, even within an ecosystem, there's like different components of like how these things are interconnected and how they work. There's like the kind of application layer, there's the user facing layer, like a Coinbase or a wallet, et cetera. But then there's also like the institutional component, like how do you get this adopted by financial institutions or companies, et cetera. So my point is that like, there's so many different things that you can do in crypto. So it's like, what do you actually want to spend your time thinking about? Because all of those are really different than one another and will have you talking to a whole different set of like customers, partners, stakeholders, et cetera. And so I think first is like, Kenny getting that 101 of all of those different things. Like maybe you want to learn a little bit about NFTs and a little bit about DAOs and a little bit about like infrastructure. And you want to learn about all these acronyms that you hear about. And I think for that, I mean, there's a huge need for, for curation in this space because there is a lot of noise and it's very intimidating and it can be very technical. I actually think Andreessen does a really good job of this. Um, they have a massive crypto effort, crypto team and uh, the content that they created for the crypto startup school is actually really good for that, like kind of high level introduction. And then once you pick your lane, 
then I think like you can start to see who the main players are in each of those things and what the main companies are. And then you just kind of like crypto Twitter is real. Like it, it is a vast amount of information and connectivity. And it's just like really a really great resource. And so the sooner that you can kind of identify the folks that you should follow um, in the lane that you care about, the better, because then you could start to just like see what conversations they're participating in, who they're interacting with, and then join in the conversation yourself and, you know, follow folks that um, will continue to deepen your understanding of that particular area. So I think you don't necessarily, if you're like a VC, maybe you don't want to pick like a particular thing and you want to be like up on what's coming next. And I think for that, like you kind of have to you know, get to the point where you know enough that you can talk to operators and have really interesting conversations and questions for them. Um, and trying to bring that like lens of, okay, here's where I'm coming from and why I think I could be valuable to, you know, these web three companies that have pretty different incentives and dynamics and things that they're, that they're thinking about. And the way that I've seen web two VCs bridge that really well is, um, by like forming deep relationships with a handful of, you know, web three investors, and then just being really flexible, on how they're thinking about terms and ownership percentages, et cetera, as they get started and build their name. And then over time, they can kind of like get back to, you know, how they, their core investments look like. Got it. Yeah. And then uh, Anderson's Anderson Horowitz will link uh, some of that stuff into the show notes. Um, on, the, on the topic of picking your lane is actually, it's interesting because before we started recording, we were talking about reshuffling, uh, reprioritization, et cetera, given the last, you know, 18 months two years, six, seven, ten. Yeah. How have you been kind of thinking about that? Or what have you been noticing about people reshuffling? Uh, have you had some friends that are like thinking about leaving and, and, you know, wanting to do something else? Like, yeah. Any thoughts on kind of the, the current, uh, kind of work dynamic they're in right now? Yeah. I just had a friend today tell me that she accepted a job to a FinTech company and she's been in banking for the past five years. So like, it's definitely happening. Um, I think a lot of folks are, seeing, you know, the, the excitement around crypto, they're seeing like, you know, the more like the maturation of it to some extent, I wouldn't say it's mature, but it's like definitely more developed than it was a few years ago. And there's so many different entry points now where before, like maybe it was just the network layer or it was, you know, these DeFi applications, which which could be super esoteric and things that like not necessarily everyone cares about because it's like the intersection of fintech and tech, which or like finance and tech, which are already like pretty, you know, heavy topics in themselves. I think now when you see things like NFTs and DAOs and like all these things that are much more fun to people and they can like be integrated into things that they care about, whether it's like entertainment or arts or community, et cetera, like there's more opportunities for folks to come in that like have different interests outside of like where this all started, which was around technology, economics, incentives, and finance. Um, and so I think that's really exciting for folks because, you know, it opens the, it opens a door to a lot of folks that maybe felt either excluded before or felt like it was too technical or over their head, or maybe it's just like not something that they really wanted to dive into or that they cared about. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, that paired with the fact that we've all had more time online and more time to like research these areas or play around with some of these applications. There's, you know, some mainstream kind of associations with, particularly with NFTs where like, you know, the NBA did a pretty big initiative with Dapper Labs and like that reaches far beyond the normal circles of who would be looking into cryptocurrency. Uh, so I think that's all been really good and exciting. And I think, I think the fact that like 
you know, the space has grown over the past year and a half has helped because people feel like, okay, I have, I could take some chips off the table and like shift it around into other things and experiment a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just seems like that's increasingly becoming more like approachable uh, to mm-hmm. start to make changes. Uh, we were talking about discords. It seems like DAOs are just uh, incredible ways just to kind of meet like-minded people and kind of see where things kind of go from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, a lot of them also are, you know, post their roadmaps and like their working groups on Notion. And like, that's not a tool that's made for this. And I know that there's like a whole set of a whole wave of tools that are coming out that are focused on like DAO organization and like managing these disparate teams and like kind of teams that wind up and down that aren't necessarily a part of a company. Um, So I think the tooling around that will evolve over time. But even like I was looking at a a DAO that, you know, we're going to be partnering with and like their entire roadmap and like how they're thinking about things is all documented in, in a public notion. And so if you get into a discord for a group that you think is interesting, like it can um, uh, lead you into interesting directions where you start to like contribute to these projects beyond just like being a part of the discord. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That transparency is kind of, is, 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 is unique uh, in this, in this kind of space compared to public companies, et cetera. Well, cool. As people are kind of thinking about, you know, 2022, um, is there anything else, uh, any other kind of trends uh, that you're seeing or anything that, you know, people could, you know, start, start getting involved and start, uh, or they could start doing, uh, that you think would be kind of useful for them? Yeah. I know we've been talking about DAOs and like, uh, they made DAOs have made head DAOs being decentralized autonomous organizations made headlines with constitution DAO this fall, uh, where like, fo- or, yeah, folks rallied together to like tried to buy the constitution and then failed, but then had tokens that ended up doing really well. It was like a really interesting thing to watch, but that's made people more aware of like kind of these groups coming together and doing things, whether it's, you know, buying the constitution I'm starting to see more in the like philanthropic space, which is really encouraging, like thinking about how people can organize behind causes that they care about. Um, there's apparently like a lot going on in, at the intersection of climate change and crypto, which I think some people think are like kind of opposite of one another. Like, you know, there's a lot of narratives around how crypto is actually bad for the environment, which is a whole separate debate. But there's like a whole wave of, of you know, I don't know if they're all Gen Z entrepreneurs, but like entrepreneurs that care about like the environment and do care about crypto and using the latest technology to help with climate change. And I think that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Uh, one of my friends recently left a startup and now is investing in that space. I think he's invested in like over a dozen companies in the past few months. And like the fact that there are that many companies out there is like kind of a sign. Um, So I think that's like going to be an interesting one. Yeah. In in terms of DAOs, they're going to have different flavors and another kind of interesting thing to watch will just be like how they become better. (laughs) Like right now they're a little scrappy. They're a little like hard to manage. And if you think about it, it makes sense. It's like, thousands of people who don't necessarily speak the same native language that are organizing online that have probably full-time jobs. And this is just something they're doing for fun. Um, they can be pretty messy. And so I think it'll be good to see some other kind of either use cases that are created around it, or just some processes that best practices uh, that work well, that could be transferred across all of them um, because it's definitely an evolving process. Cool. 
All right, Lisa, thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, we talked about uh, the blog and we talked about uh, Twitter. Uh, so please let people know the handle and if there's other ways that you think that people can continue to learn from you in, in Aztec, uh, please let us know. Um, but this is such a great conversation, Lisa. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And yeah, for in terms of like following me on Twitter, it's just at Lisa Cuesta, my full name. And then I think the best way to keep up with what's going on at uh, Aztec is through our Discord, which we talked about, and then also our Twitter, which is at Aztec Network. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thanks. Hey, friend. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much. 